Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar is a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education with 23 locations in 11 states across the country, including a new store coming near me in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you. And here's the exciting part. Keep listening all this month for a chance to win free beer uh, from Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar, where craft beer education and collaboration reign supreme. Well, we're glad you're with us tonight. Uh, You can follow uh, the conversation and, in fact, join in the conversation on Twitter by following us at PubTheology and using hashtag PTLive. On Facebook, you can comment at facebook.com slash pubtheology, and it's worth your while to chime in with a thought or a question because the best comments of the month will be in the running to win a $25 gift certificate from Craft Beer Cellar. Tonight, we're going to discuss heaven, myth, eternal resting place, present reality, all of the above, or something else entirely. We'll explore what we would come up with if we were in on the cosmic design team creating heaven. We'll also talk craft beer, of course, community, the power of story, and other things that come up along the way. We are joined tonight by guest Jack Rusciuto. Jack is a writer, teacher, and storyteller, and author now of 20 books. I can hardly keep up with this guy. He's been delivering workshops and coaching over the past three decades in over 24 industry sectors with hundreds of organizations and dozens of communities across the U.S. and globally. I got to know Jack uh, at Pub Theology Gatherings in Washington, D.C., and I'm excited he's with us tonight. So welcome, Jack. Hey, thanks, Brian. Glad to be here again. Only virtual. Only virtual. And uh, where are you joining us from, and what are you drinking? I am uh, down in Michigan, nor am I in the South. Tonight we have Sam Smith's Organic Handcrafted Strawberry. Ooh. Well done. Yeah. How and how you? is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's fruity. <laughs> it's fruity. All right. It's, it's fruity. It, but not too bad. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. I am drinking a Schwartz Good Humans Dry Hopped Brown Ale. Uh, so mm. it's a good one I picked up from up north and uh, some good craft beer options here in Michigan. Sweet. All right, I'm posting our thing. We are live here. And the link, you can find us on Facebook if you're looking for us. And you can always listen in later at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive. So grateful to folks who are joining us. What's the latest that's happening with you, Jack? Any uh, any new writing projects going on right now? Uh, of course. I always have two books I'm working on. 
Mm. Um, having brown ale envy at the moment, though, watching yeah. with that brown ale. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm working on one of the power questions, and I'm working on one on writing. So after 20 freaking books, I'm finally doing a book on writing. So that's cool. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. A book on writing and a book on questions. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love it. So our first warm-up question is, what is your favorite month? What is your favorite month? Favorite month. That's interesting. Um, my favorite month is April. Because uh, all of my major breakthroughs have come through in April. That's a good reason right there. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just random. It could be November or, or July or whatever. Um, April's good. April's kind of uh, in Cleveland. So I'm in Cleveland. I grew up here. And uh, we, it was the first year we didn't have a winter. Like, it literally did not have a winter. Right. And um, so it's kind of, kind of ironic to celebrate spring because uh, normally spring follows a winter, which we didn't have. So, um, um, you know, spring is hope, it's optimism, it's growth. Um, all of the seasons are sacred. <laughs> how, uh, how about you? What's your favorite month and why? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, favorite month for me, I would have to say we just started it. Uh, here we are in March, and I'm a little biased since I was born this month. Uh, wow. So there's that right off the top. Uh, I know, kind of obnoxious, uh, getting excited about a birthday month. You know, I'm not 12 anymore. But in addition to my birthday, mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, around the start of spring, there's the March Madness basketball tournament. Mm -hmm. I'm a big sports fan. Uh, spring training gets underway for baseball. We've right. got St. Patrick's Day. Mardi Gras is often in March. And this year, to top it all off, icing on the cake, we've got Easter happening in March. So mm. it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad one. <laughs> Though, you know, to be honest, my favorite season is summer. So we're certainly not in summer in March, at yeah. least not in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're in paradise. Michigan is paradise, so, you know, every season is good. We do have, we do have a nice slate of four seasons, and I, yeah. you, know, you try to remind yourself of that when it's March 1 and your kids are home on a snow day. Oh, God. <laughs> we, got, uh, we got hit overnight and all during the day, so a little bit of shoveling happened today. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so uh, let's get into the meat of our conversation tonight, which uh, is going to begin with the question of heaven. What is heaven? Is it a myth? Is it a place where we go and experience eternal bliss when we die? Is it a present reality in which we experience the presence of God here and now? Is it something else? Uh, wondering what your take is on what is heaven all about? <laughs> um, so two things. So in Buddhism, which is, you know, from my youth, my, my um, uh, orientation, uh, heaven and hell are both in the present. So because right. the present is all there is. And so, um, so that's one, is that they both exist in the present. Of course, 
they may exist in the future. And we know, we don't know the future is intrinsically unknowable. Uh, so we work from that premise, but, um, but I think the more important message is that, is that, um, at least in this life and possibly beyond, um, it's a, it's a fascinating question of whether we create our own heaven and hell or whether that's created by something outside of us. Yes. I like, I like, uh, that thinking is, is it something that exists outside of our own making our own consciousness? Um, is there a physical, for lack of a better term or spiritual, uh, plane, uh, which, uh, we don't exist now, but perhaps will one day, or as you said, is it something that's happening concurrently right now? And we tap into, um, by the choices that we're making each moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's part of it. The other part that I wanted to share was, um, in my late teens, I was exposed to a poem by a French poet, Charles Begay. Mm. And um, he had this amazing, um, so actually this parable, uh, his poem, the parable, um, speaks to what I just talked about. You know, is the question of do we create it ourselves or is it, is it kind of a, um, um, is it a given uh, in a kind of a karmic way, right? Uh, based on our behavior or compliance with, you know, religious standards and so on. And and so um, it's a really sweet poem. So the way the poem works, I think we talked about, I I think we talked about this once, but at any rate, the way the poem works is it's it's judgment day, right? Classic Judeo-Christian. Right. Um, Billions and billions of people are lined up. It's a long freaking line, right? Everybody's there. And, um, God, um, um, appears as a, 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 somebody in line, which he can do, you know, or she or whatever. Yeah. God appears and starts a rumor that everyone is getting in. God starts a rumor that everyone's getting in. Into heaven. <laughs> this is the poem. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So the rumor spreads, you know, through 12 billion people. I, I think it's, how many people have been around 12 billion? I don't know, make, something like that. Anyway, so God spreads this rumor and it spreads through the line. And he waits patiently until it spreads all the way through. People yeah. only have two reactions. People are either delighted or completely assaulted and incensed. Right. What the hell is going on? Or what the heaven is going on? And, um, and after this takes place, he, in, he shows up as God and announces, all of you who are delighted will be in heaven. And all of you who are incensed will be in your own hell. <laughs> uh, oh, that is a juicy, juicy parable. That is juicy. I like that. I like that. And, and 
it fits, right? Because I think uh, <laughs> we all know people who, if they heard that rumor that everybody was getting in, they'd be a little bit bummed out. Uh, what do you think it is that might have them have that reaction? Well, it's a, it's a complete lack of forgiveness. You know, it's a consciousness of... Um, um, it's a it's a consciousness of not being able to forgive, not being able to accept, and um, um, so oh, I'm going to go on. But you know, hey, you invited me here, so Brian, what can I say? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, say what you think. So two years ago, um, I mean, you invited me as a storyteller. So there we are. Tell us a story. Totally your, your fault there. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was held up at gunpoint. And uh, it was my third near-death experience. Three kids in my neighborhood, urban neighborhood, get held up by a gun that the judge eventually said was the largest gun she had ever seen in her life. And I showed up at the hearing, and um, the final uh, uh, court hearing, and um, the judge said, you know, as the victim, what, what do you have to, to report? And I said, I want restorative justice. And she said, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I said, well, the New York Times just reported on it last Sunday, you know, and I went into this whole thing about it. And uh, it's about about healing and not um, uh, punishment. And she sent them to prison anyway. Um, a couple of Sundays ago, I get a call from his mother, the kid's mother. Like a couple Sundays ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid was 18. He had just gotten a full scholarship to college and just had this implosion. And she says, uh, you know, I want to get your, she said, you know, how can you help him? Um, he's up for release, early release and so on. So the kid sends me a letter and basically says he is in college. He is mentoring other kids, urban youth, urban black youth, particularly, specifically, uh, to politicize the story. And, um, He's giving motivational speeches. He's gone through all kind of programs, and all he wants to do is um, is come back to his community and give back to it. And so he sends me a letter, and in the letter he says, "I never knew." Basically, he's saying, "I never knew my potential until you, as a victim, forgave me for that crime." Mm. Well done. That's crazy. That's very cool. And often you don't get that resolution or you don't hear back on what effect, you know, you might have had. So I think that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So anyway, I share that personal story because it speaks to the whole thing about people online saying, oh, my God, no. You know, I remember my, my cousin. He can't be in freaking heaven. Oh my God. I mean, this is like, <laughs> right. What the fuck kind of God is this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, if your cousin and Hitler are in heaven, then what's going on? 
yeah, it's like, oh, really? Okay. So, you know, now I have to believe in this God who actually loves everybody. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, just like, you know, you know, it's just, that's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I think there is a longing for justice uh, that we all have. And so the idea that everybody would be in heaven is threatening because it feels like, well, some people don't deserve it or some people didn't mm-hmm. do the right things or believe the right beliefs. And how can you really say everybody's there? We've got people across walks of life, across religious traditions, across, you know, levels of morality. Yeah. Just does, like life doesn't make sense if everybody is, you know, in this place of eternal bliss in the end. Yeah. So what is, what is heaven, right? You know, and how is it, and I'm yeah. just raising the question of how, how is it, you know, is it of our own making? It's a great question. It's a great question. I've, I've got a quote here from Lisa Miller, who wrote a book called Heaven, Our Enduring Fascination with the Afterlife. And she says, when we talk about heaven, most of us mean more or less the same thing. Heaven is the perfect place. It is the home of God and a reward for living the right kind of life. In heaven, we live forever. So I think that's a pretty good person on the street or average uh, American Christian idea of heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what heaven actually is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, I think as a person who's a Christian, I think we have to have space for wonder and mystery and also hope, you know, uh, it's not something I think we can just easily sort out with a few Bible verses. Certainly, I don't think it's something we ought to use to hold over people's head as a reason for them to behave a certain way. Um, but I think we do have this longing for hope and for not just this existence in life, but something beyond. And I, I resonate with that hope and that desire. Well, I think, I think it's, um, you know, we can do a whole call just on hope, but, but I think it's, it's an interesting question of whether, you know, is hope is, is, is heaven, Hope with a sense of agency. And the agency, yes, yeah, the agency is our, our ability to bring that about. Mm. Not just a passive hope. So something in your hands, in a way. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's what you do with the gifts that you have no responsibility for having. Mm. So it's a really interesting um, paradox of, of gift or grace in the, in the, in the uh, Christian uh, theological tradition, grace, but it's agency and grace. It's the intersection of agency and grace. I like that a lot. I like that a lot because it creates space for, as you said, for um, something you just get because God or the universe uh, is gracious. 
And so you're, you're invited, you're welcome. But then there's Mm -hmm. also this, yeah, we're given, given gifts, given responsibility, uh, and given an ability to help others, I think, experience a taste of heaven, a taste Mm -hmm. of life as it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he uses language like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think he's not um, so much talking about what happens after we die in that instance as your ability to taste the kind of life God wants for all of humanity is mm-hmm. available to you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I should go, it would be interesting to go back to the original Greek. When we were kids, we had to um, translate the entire New Testament from the Greek. It's like a whole other story. Um, wow. But, um, but it's possible that at hand also had a connotation of in hand. Mm. Right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the place of love, of unconditional love, is in, both in hand and at hand. So I think it's, it's an it's a, uh, interesting <clears throat> um, um, presence of prepositions. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That that's a subtle but but interesting yeah. little, <laughs> interesting little possibility, and I like I like that. And elsewhere, yeah. Jesus says, um, "The kingdom of God is within you." And when he uses kingdom of God, it's really the same thing as when he's using kingdom of heaven. It's mm-hmm. just the writer of Matthew tended to like using heaven um, because he didn't want to use um, the word God out of respect. Um, but there he's saying the kingdom of heaven is within you. Mm-hmm. And that also is close to what I think you're hinting at there. Yeah. Well, I think what's beautiful about that is is that um, is that I think the connotation in both contexts is the uh, is the the um, domain kingdom is domain, right? Yes, the domain of divine love, which is which is um, an energy consciousness, which is ultimately unconditional, and that goes back to the Begay story of everybody's getting in, right? My story of. Everyone's, you know, yeah. and, and and what you know, what if, what if everyone on the planet experienced divine love? Absolutely. What would that, what would that be like? Yeah. What would that be like? Mm-hmm. What would that be like? Um, Dave on Twitter says, uh, "Is heaven a baseball field in the Midwest?" So. You know, I, I, I'm somewhere in the middle of divine love, <laughs> divine love for all humanity and baseball. Um, I could get pulled either way. Well, I would say that um, based on what you're saying, baseball is a baseball diamond in the Midwest during spring training. Because that's when hope lives. <laughs> it's not. It's not in September when, uh, you know, when the Indians and Tigers have proven uh, that they're not going to make it. Well, yes, when there's anxiety and you know, desperation. No, you're totally right. There's something about uh, hope springing eternal at uh, spring yeah. training when 
the whole schedule's in front of you. All those games are yet to be played. The grass is yeah. fresh after the off season of snow and anything yeah. can happen. Well, you know, I had this really, this is such a, um, 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 I've had this sense for a long time that, um, so, you know, this whole thing about heaven is such a weird topic. And, you know, it's not a topic only because I love you. Am I, am I doing this topic with you? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I would not, I don't have time for this topic, but I'm telling you, it is such a juicy topic. So what I've, um, one of my thoughts about heaven for a long time has been that people show up as they are. Mm. Okay. So that's an interesting question is are people, um, are people, uh, intrinsically transformed when they get into heaven or, or do they actually go in as they are? And so and this goes back to the sense of agency and, and optimism and so on. And so if you say that, that people just show up as they are, you have people walking around heaven worried. Like, right. right. Like, what if, does God really love me? And I'm, you know, I'm still concerned. I'm going to see all these people who may or may not, accept me as I am. They didn't like half of what I put on Facebook. And these <laughs> people are here too. Right. So you have, you have people like in, in this. So what I'm saying is how, how it's our own creation. If we don't get automatically transformed in heaven, we show up as we are. Half of the people in heaven are like delighted because it's like, Oh my God. This is a place I can give and receive love so purely and so generously. And the other half of the people constantly worry that, that they're being accepted. You know, like I haven't seen God in like a long time. It's been a couple of days. It's been a couple of months. <laughs> right. Right. It's yeah. like, you know, the, the dude doesn't show up and you bring your issues with you. You bring all right. It's a geographical cure. Right, you go from Michigan to Florida in the middle of the winter, and you're sitting down there saying, "Shit, um, I'm worried about my stocks and my uh, IRA, and you know, my my gay son still doesn't, you know, we still have issues, and my daughter's a Republican, and I'm not." <laughs> All the old stuff. My daughter loves Trump. She adores. She thinks he's like the you know like the greatest human being on the planet. I'm a Hillary fan. I knew you'd work <laughs> Super Tuesday. In I know. I do. I mean, it's super. It's nine thirty on Super Tuesday. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what you're saying reminds me of the old saying that wherever you go, yeah, there you are. There you are. You know, and so I like you wondering, does that extend to heaven? And if it doesn't, is that still you in heaven? Or what what essence of you is still there? And how much of your identity are those mm-hmm. idiosyncrasies that you have? You know, whether you tend to laugh easily or worry easily mm-hmm. or, you know, get upset or go with the flow. Like, does that change? Are you a different mm-hmm. personality in heaven? 
Is there better beer in heaven? Ooh. <laughs> I do have to say this uh this brown ale is if this is in heaven, I might uh get a draft. Yeah. So um all right, so um it's always interesting when you have a, a show with somebody who's a storyteller to be able to turn the tables and ask you if you were to design heaven, what would you design into it? So that was the question that your invitation today sparked for me. I like what, that. What would you put there? Would you put a baseball diamond? Would you put brown ale? Uh, would Keep you put Ber- Bernie Sanders? Would you put <laughs> Disney World? <laughs> you know, would there be churches everywhere? Would uh, there be no churches? No, ch- right? Exactly. Exactly. It's a really interesting question. And, uh, you know, I think often ten, people tend to put the kind of their deepest longings out there, you know. So a little girl might say, you know, heaven is a field of flowers and there's, you know, 10 cute puppies and they all love me and they're mine and they're always jumping and following me and we play games. And, yeah, you know, heaven is just pure that. And someone else might say heaven is the perfect wave where I can surf and, you know, yeah. be at the beach and I can connect with, um, with the waves. And, you know, someone else might have any number of other things. Yeah. Well, and do we, do we each get our own thing? You mean like puppies? Do we, will we all have the same experience or will we each perceive that the things we long for are there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, where's with your kids would have puppies. My kids I would have puppies and kitties. Yep. Yeah. I, I would probably not. <laughs> yeah. So what would you design? I think I would, I would have nothing to lick themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it that way. Well done. Yeah. I would. <laughs> yeah, I would have. Um, but it's an interesting point that um, how much of heaven would be like you? So if you're an architect, would heaven be like this whole eternity of architects? So you just like hang around and and um, and so that's what's so interesting. So if you're an architect, do you get to like build shit? If you're a, a brewmeister, would you get to brew stuff? If you're a painter, do you get to paint stuff? Like, what is that, you know? Yeah. If you're a pastor, do you get to preach sermons in heaven, or are sermons superfluous by the time you get there? Well, see, that's the thing. <laughs> if everybody shows up as they are, you get to preach all kinds of stuff because people are like, but that's the interesting thing. Think about that. That's really cool. So if you're a pastor, you're preaching to people who are constantly feeling deficient. Correct or not? Well, uh, like they're, they're, at they're some like level, they, yeah. At some yeah. level, you're trying to tap into what people are longing for more of in, in right. their lives, in the world. Yeah. So, so what that means is when, if, I, if I go to heaven in that state, I have an eternity of longing. And there's going to be a point where I'm thinking to myself, what? How is heaven longing? Shit, that was that was earth. Hmm. How is that heaven? 
is it you know is it um eternal bliss and does bliss ever get old exactly does bliss ever get old i do find your question compelling that uh would you have the things the work that inspires you that gives you meaning that helps you wake up in the morning it's like oh i'm working on this project uh you know i'm designing this house and it's yeah. great and i can't believe or you know, i can't wait until we can show people this vision that i've had in my mind and these plans we've had on blueprints mm-hmm. and i mean you live for that stuff if that's yeah. your if those are your gifts and yeah you have to think if heaven was eternity of not doing that you might say maybe there's something else Mm. Well, maybe maybe heaven is where everything you do is loved by everybody. You build a house and you have people who love it. You bake uh, a cake, people love it. Right? You have a puppy, everybody loves your puppies. You brew a beer, everybody loves your beer. Not everybody, but you know, you've got this whole like it's like from a um from a commercial point of view, it's um um you have like the ideal market show up. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, but what happens to old people? So, you know, my mother's 90, my parents are both 90 and they're both really healthy and and active. I spent a weekend with them, which is like really a gift. And, um, my father still goes to mass every day. I mean, Oh my God. I mean, you know, they were like really, he did a whole retreat retreat this weekend, so it was a whole retreat of meditation and um, okay um, uh, fasting. And um, so you have, but but you know, the, you know, theoretically or whatever, in five years they're ninety. So five years, six years, ten years, they're pretty disabled. You know, when they go to heaven, are they? Um, you know, running laps? Are they healthy? Do you have the perfect body? And, and when, I, when I grew up, that's what we were taught. You know, the, the Catholic theology was, the nuns told us, when you went to heaven, you would have a perfect body and perfect mind. What do you think about that? <laughs> a nice uh, thought yeah i don't know i mean the other i mean the the, the corollary question is do you do you grow in heaven are you in the state that like continues on for eternity yeah are you in some right some sort of uh suspended <clears throat> yeah state where you're the same forever yeah and you do wonder if, if we went into heaven at a younger age than when we die, many mm-hmm. of us, would people recognize us? Would most of our friends <clears throat> remember us or recognize us or children, yeah. they know us? Uh, would we know our grandparents if they're in their 30s in heaven? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so one of my first Buddhist teachers, uh, Sensei Ogui, who is... Um, He's, I think he's still alive. He's in San Francisco. He, one time he uh, did a talk and he said, 
Would you choose to live if you only lived for an hour? Would you choose to live if you only lived for an hour? Yeah. Right, you're born, but you knew before you were born that you would only live for an hour. Would you, would you choose to live? What's your, uh, what's what your, you, okay. So you would be an infant in this scenario. Yeah. You're an embryo basically. I mean, you're, you know, you're a fetus. That's yeah. Yeah. And then you're, yeah, you're born and that's it for an hour yeah. after an hour. Uh, that's hard to say because I don't know what, uh, what you're experiencing in that hour that would, I mean, what's the alternative, you know, non, non-existence, uh, I suppose I'd choose existence over non-existence, but if it was an hour as an adult who can yeah. you know, have thoughts or a conversation for an hour, then absolutely. Yeah. As an infant, it's hard to say. <clears throat> yeah. But to your point, if you, if you had to spend, if you could be born for an hour, you had to spend all of eternity in that form. <laughs> <laughs> would you choose to be born? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. And and it's a beautiful question, which is how would you love to live forever? If you could live forever. Yeah. What's the state? What's your state of mind? What's your state of being? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. I wonder if, uh, we'll get to fill out like an entry form and it'll be like, you know, how old do you want to be? Um, what skills do you want to be at the, at their peak and those yeah. kinds of things sign up for, uh, you know, squash here and racquetball here and to be yeah. a marathon marathoner, you can sign up for that. Right. Learn Mandarin. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you want to be, you know, a concert pianist, sign up mm-hmm. here. You do wonder about that. So um, a quote from Diana Butler Bass uh, in her recent book, she's a, a church authority writer and speaker. She says two lines here. She says, heaven is both a location in the larger cosmos and a spiritual geography that represent divine attributes and intention. That's kind of a thick sentence. Next sentence maybe is more to the point. She says, in the New Testament, heaven most often appears as the kingdom of heaven, God's political and social vision for humanity. And I like that because, again, it's bringing heaven back to this earthy, everyday, how do we live as human beings together now? And is there this realm that's, you know, quote-unquote, heaven, where God's intention is carried out. And then Jesus has us pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our responsibility is to use the gifts of our hands, as you alluded to, mm-hmm. um, to help others experience uh, a political and a social order that reflects flourishing, that reflects kindness, that reflects forgiveness um it reflects welcome for all Mm -hmm. at whatever level of ability um 
and so forth. And I, I find that mm-hmm. really compelling. And to me, that that shows me a picture of, of how Jesus lived his life. You know, he was out on those edges spending time with people who weren't included in the social and religious circles of the day. And, uh, you know, he, he would have been seen as unclean or inappropriate for making those kinds of connections, but he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I love that picture, and that inspires me to, as a follower mm-hmm. of his, to wonder what today are the lines we've drawn as the church or as human beings where we're keeping people out. You know, whether they don't have a job or they're homeless or they don't have the right sexual orientation or they're not in the right relationship status or they don't have the right social skills for that matter. Right. Who are the people that we're edging out? And then where am I Mm -hmm. with regard to them? Yeah. So what's interesting about that is that heaven becomes a lens it's interesting to think of heaven as a lens rather than a location. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. It might not be a location. It might be a lens. And as a le- yeah, as a lens, it's like, how can we make the best possible life happen for people on the planet? I'm tweeting this out right now. It's so good. Perhaps we need to think of heaven not as a location, but as a lens. Mm-hmm. So it's a lens through which to see how it might be possible for us to help people have the best life possible. I like that. I like that. And then a the question is, uh, how do we cultivate that lens or how do we tap into Mm -hmm. that lens? How do we have eyes to see what that best possible scenario for ourselves and others might be? Yeah. So, um, my, one of my partners today, um, Jen, we were talking about, uh, community and we define community as dreaming together. And I think when we dream together, we're defining together what that best possible world is for all of us. Mm. You know, for the franchised and disenfranchised, for the marginalized and the centralized, for the haves, the have-nots, for the bees and the wannabes, right? all those different categories. <clears throat> and <clears throat> you and I are both privileged, Right. In, in, in a world Absolutely. Absolutely. seven seven billion people, you know, we're educated, we're drinking, you know Here we are having a beverage and talking about beers and right, exactly. Talking and about theology. Exactly. And um um and how can we bring about the best world possible for everybody? We already have it. Right? We already have it. Whatever our struggles are. We have it. And how do we bring that for everyone who is struggling for justice, their own, struggling for subsistence, right? The, the, yeah. How many people who, um, who, uh, who working two jobs are still in poverty? 
how many people who are working for $2 a day are still in poverty. And that's the most they can make. No doubt. Yeah. So, you know, I think heaven for us is the lens of, of what's best, what, what is most possible for us. And I think for, for some of us, for all of us, it's to have meaning in our lives. It's to know why we have our existence. It's to feel larger than, than we are, to be part of larger of space larger than us. And I think that's what the beauty of the question of heaven is. Hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And so another question we have is, why does one's view of heaven matter? Mm-hmm. Why does one's view of heaven matter? And I think with what we've been saying here, it matters immensely because if we see heaven purely as somewhere else, purely as somewhere I go when I die, and the basis for getting there is whether I believe a certain set of doctrines or beliefs um, or whether it's I, you know, do a certain amount of behavior or whatever. If I see it as elsewhere, I think my sense of responsibility for this world and even my own life now, it's possibly diminished mm-hmm. because I'm always thinking, well, at least I have eternity or even if I mess everything up now and even if we screw up the earth and the environment, well, heaven awaits. So what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So I think in the worst case, heaven is a postponement. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, we lose our sense of agency and our sense of hope. Postponement is is a function of cynicism because we don't think it's going to happen. We say it can't happen now. Mm. It has to happen some other time. I can't make it happen today. Right. I'm busy with all my shit. I've got to do everything. I have my to-do list. You have yours. Right. I have to get the point A from point A to point B. So do you. And so we postpone that. We postpone hope. We postpone agency, and um, you know that's kind of the coming back to the the, um, the the you know the the Buddhist point of view of the only time that exists, and 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 the Christian uh, theologians like Henry Nouwen, uh, Thomas Merton, go on from there. Yeah, would argue that. Um, that the only time that exists is the eternal now. Mm. So it brings us. Oh yeah, absolutely it does. Yeah, absolutely. So what does it mean to live in the eternal now? Is a really beautiful question. I love that, and I think that fits no matter what our view of heaven is, because we all know the moment we have available to us is right now. And the more we are connected to the present moment, Mm -hmm. I think the more we tap into our best self, uh, the more we're present with people, 
that we're sitting across the table from, um, the more we're present with coworkers or family members. And I think the challenge is we have so much competition for the present moment, uh, whether it's, you know, our technological devices that distract us or whether it's even our, just our own internal mindset. And I'm thinking ahead to tomorrow or I'm worried or regretting about last week. Right. It's so hard to like calm the mind to not jump ahead and not constantly live in the past mm-hmm. to say what I have is right now and what now, what I have right now, what I do right now is what's going to shape what is coming next week. Uh, and there's nothing I can do about what happened last week. Cause that's right. That's in the past. Right. Yeah. And so the implication there is, and this is an interesting, um, uh, um, um, paradigm is that it's that it's, it's really unreasonable. It's irrational to think that our future is going to be greater than our present. Ah, say more about that. It's irrational to think our future is going to be greater than our present. Present, yes. So if I say, oh, you know, I can be distracted and crabby or whatever, not grateful, not present, mm-hmm. but my future will be much better. I'm not really savoring the present but the future is going to be like really like waiting at the airport you know um people wait at the airport and you see people sitting there and they're in this 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 state of anticipation of this sucks but it's going to be better later on you know what boys and girls it's going to be fucking the way it is now Woo! I knew there was a reason I had you on the show. <laughs> it's not going to be any better because you're going you're going to be as non-present at the beach, at your beach house, smoking a great bowl in the Amsterdam. I don't care where you are; it's not going to be any better than it is now. <laughs> Man, you're laying it down. But isn't that one of the myths we live by? We always, or at least I should, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it's so easy to always be looking ahead. What's the next best thing or what's the thing tomorrow, next week, next year, five years from now, that's going to finally have me satisfied. It's finally going to be right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'll, I'll feel so much better after we close on this house. You're going to be feel the same freaking way. As you do now, which is like, oh, my God, um, I have so much worries. I have got all this anxiety and concerns. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, clean your room. You know, it's going to he's going to yeah. you be worried about cleaning the room, whether it's this room or in a different house. Oh, my God. It's the same thing. So what it brings back is that sense of presence and agency of if you don't bring heaven into the present, you're never going to have it. Oh, if you don't bring heaven into the present, you're never going to have it. Yeah. That's the illusion is that, you know, yeah, I can postpone it. It'll, it'll, it'll come eventually. I, th- I think we're masters at that postponement. I mean, I, yeah. 
I think we really, we live our lives that way. And I think in some ways our economy works that way, right? That it's always the next thing um, that gives you that little taste of satisfaction, that little taste of heaven. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. click here and, you know, buy this, you know, recipe book. It's going to, you know, have you feeling better than you've ever felt or buy this gadget and you're going to be able to do all your favorite apps and wash your dishes and you'll be happy. Yeah. Well, um, so in my work, you know, everything I do is based in science. Mostly it's neuroscience. And one of the things that neuroscience teaches us is that anticipation can be more, actually more, um, this is paradoxical, but anticipation can be actually more pleasurable than the actual achievement itself. And so what that means is live in the present of what it is you're anticipating. Just be in that present instead of feeling the sense of like, if I get there, I'll be happier. And the neuroscience is saying, actually not. You're not actually going to be happier. That living here is, 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 is your fulfillment. The kingdom of God is within you. Mm. The domain of bliss is at hand. It's here. It's not there. Stop trying to go there. Um, the transfiguration um, um, parable, you know, of, yes. of um, you know, it's like if we can, like, create something that isn't here right now, would that make it better? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, not really. You guys are busy creating a reality that you don't have instead of enjoying the reality you do have. That was the whole, that was the whole message of that parable. I like it. A lot of wisdom there, Jack. If you never bring heaven into the present, you're never going to have it. Uh, yeah. And another, uh, another, another key line you had tonight, I think, was perhaps we need to think of heaven not as a location but as a lens. Yes. Um, I think both of those are uh, huge. And if we can, if we can just be present and and try to gauge that lens a little or, or identify that lens and look through it. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll be less worried about, well, what is heaven? And is it something I need to be worried about? That's tomorrow yeah. or, you know, after my retirement. No, right. what are you doing right now? Yeah. Who are you right now? Yeah, exactly. So the lens is, is for you. It's what is it to, to, to bring heaven into the moment with your wife, right? Yeah. In 10 minutes with your kids tomorrow morning, but with your friends tomorrow night, right? Your coworkers, whatever. So, yeah, exactly right. Well, great stuff, Jack. We're at our hour here. This has been a lot of fun, man. I just feel like uh, <laughs> it's just another night at, uh, at the beer baron. We just didn't have our, uh, didn't have yeah. our burger and our sweet potato fries, but that's it. <laughs> Short of that, we had, uh, this has been a great time, Brian. I really appreciate it. 
This has been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thanks to those who have listened in live and thanks to those who who are tuning in later. Please connect and spread the word on social media. You can find Pub Theology on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Remember, you can listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash Pub Theology Live. You can find uh, or create a Pub Theology in your town uh, with information at pubtheology.com. And again, thanks to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you and keep listening all month for your chance to win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar. Well, thanks again, Jack. Uh, It was a delight and I hope we have you back soon. I hope so, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're out. (laughs) Thank you.